0: As we become accustomed to the reading of the text each Sunday and to the Bible and Sunday school and church, it's hard for us to step back from that and imagine how radical Jesus' words were to those who first heard them. And in fact, I suggest that they are just as radical to us as well if we can hear them in a way different than our own Pharisaic perspectives. Excuse me. We keep wanting to weave a basket for ourselves that holds all of our self-justifying stuff in it. And Jesus spends all of his days tearing that basket apart. That ego-centered self thing. Undermining it. So that we can finally come to understand what God's love is all about. This is especially true in this morning's passage known as the Pharisee or the publican. If you grew up with the King James Version, in ours it's the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee is not a bad person, and I will speak more to that. But the tax collector, you don't want him. Or your son or daughter. He's a lying, cheating, thieving, no good, dog and cat kicking tax collector. Jim Overton accepted. <laughs> I see you back there. I didn't have to preach this text today. In fact, it's not the lectionary text, but I found myself being drawn to it again because I needed to hear it. Here's a little secret about preachers. In almost every sermon, what we preach is self-persuasion. We preach the sermon that we most need to hear. So I picked it to be persuaded one more time of what I will get to in a minute. Here, as it comes to us, according to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But that tax collector, standing far off, He would not even look up to heaven. He was instead beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other, the Pharisee. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, A confession. At heart, I am a Pharisee. And I don't mean that term just in the negative sense. It's not fair to Judaism to immediately cast the dark pall of negativity on top of Phariseeism. But let me say that in the symbolic sense of what Jesus means by the term Pharisee, that is a person who justifies himself by how religious he is, a religious rule follower. And the reason I am, I think, is because I had a really hard two years in college when I was the opposite of that. I lost myself and followed no rules at all except the rules of fraternity hedonism And so somehow after coming back to myself and discovering that I needed some rules and a container, I was over time pulled closer and closer into the church. It took a while, 10, 12 years. And somehow in the midst of that, I think, I was led to seminary, maybe because I needed the robes of the priesthood to be a container for me the rules, to keep that shadow side of hedonism out of my life. I needed structure and I I needed community. All of the reasons that I went into ministry are very complicated. I felt and still feel myself called to it, but also I want to say that there are many psychological and emotional and human reasons built into it, too, and so, my shadow side was that two year absence in the fraternity, but my worst shadow side, I'm confessing to you, is my Phariseeism. In fact, Bill showed up with the wrong color robe stole on today, and I sent him back to change because it's Lent and you have to wear purple in Lent. That was my Phariseeism. We have rules for a reason. It keeps order. And there's a part of me that both likes that and also I, of course, being a maverick, don't always follow. All that said, let me say that if the church had a hundred Pharisees in every church, we would be a whole lot better off in terms of the church itself. For Pharisees are the ones who do all the work. They tithe. They come to church, they teach Sunday school class, they show up when there are outreach events. They do all the stuff that needs to be done. Pharisees are the hard-working people. If we only had more of them. These are the people who serve as elder or deacon or trustee. There's nothing wrong with this. In fact, it is a good thing. Every church needs more Pharisees. We would have a lot fewer budget struggles if more of you were Pharisaic. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees were more like the populist. The Sadducees, on the other hand, were more like the elitist. The Pharisees were more like the Southern Baptist of the day. The Sadducees were more like the Episcopalians and the Presbyterians. The Sadducees were the academics. They thought that God was only present in the temple in Jerusalem. The Pharisees thought that God was present everywhere. Therefore, synagogues in every town would be available to the people. As I said, they were the populist. Whatever it is that makes us more Pharisaic or Sadduceic has a lot to do with our yearning for justifying our lives. For whatever tribe we choose to live in is somehow related to our yearning and longing to find our own lives justified. What I mean by that is, okay, a reason for my life. And at the deepest level for that, what I mean by that is an experience of being loved. As far as the tax collector goes in this story, he was the least loved man in town. He had a contract with Rome to collect taxes per head, so much per head, and anything he collected over that, he kept. It was called extortion. It's the way the mafia works. And he would collect more than he was supposed to in almost every case. That's why tax collectors were the least likely people to show up in church. He was a swindler, a liar, a cheat, a womanizer, an extortionist, and no count. In our world today, it might get you elected into office. But in the world of character, values, morality, and ethics, I do not advise living your life this way. He was what the Bible would call a goat. At one point in my life, I know what that felt like. What scares me is that I still have it in me. Both parts, Pharisee and publican. And I have to negotiate those parts every single day. Which way will I turn? We all have both of them in us. And the one that we have in us at the time is only the presentation of the shadow side that we are not living out. We can go either way. And this parable from Jesus tells us that with this inclination towards being a Pharisee, it is of all the greatest sin. Appearing to be religious and right, or thinking that I can somehow earn my way into righteousness by doing the right things, is the greatest of sins. You would think that's what we're supposed to do. The whole world, in fact, teaches us that. We live quasi-meritocracy. Those who work hard and do it right receive the results, the rewards. Starts early with grades in school. It's true with athletics. It's true in relationships. It's true in almost every single case in our world. Those who work hard reap the rewards. You do not, however, reap love. Love is freely given based on no reason other than it is given by the one who gives it. It is not based on what we do or accomplish or earn or win. It is not based on our grade point average or who our folks are or what I do in this world to make the world a better place. None of that Love is simply freely given. To say that love is unconditional is superfluous. It's either unconditional or it's not love. All love is unconditional. It is freely given by the one who gives it. Marriage after marriage after marriage, we all know what that doesn't look like. Instead, it looks like this reciprocal obligation You've done this for me, now I'll do this for you. And you've done this for me, now I'll do this for you. Well, you didn't do that for me, so now I'm not going to do this for you. Over and over again, I run into that conditionality in so many relationships. While all the while, both partners are just desperately seeking to be loved. For their own sake. The Pharisee thought he was loved for his righteousness. I have, he says, done this. Four times he says I. I have done this. I have done this, and I'm glad I'm not like that. I. So me-centered. He was in love, all right. That narcissistic grandiosity that follows such religious people like us around. While the Republican, he's on his knees beating his breast, he has nothing at all to claim for himself, and he's praying to God for mercy, for God to have a miserable heart, literally that's what mercy means, for God to cry out in misery and compassion. And in that experience for the tax collector, he comes to understand what God's love is all about. He didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. If he kept coming into church and praying that same prayer and going back out into the world and continuing his same lifestyle and then coming back into church and then going back out, how many times can he keep doing that? Seven times 70, Jesus says, which is however many times it takes for that tax collector to experience the unconditional love of God in such a way that he would choose to be a loving agent himself and change his life. But he doesn't change his life in order to experience the love of God. And how many times is the, is the Pharisee going to stand up in church and, and beat his breast of, look at me, look at me, look at me, and what a good man I am, and he can still keep coming back, too, as many times as it takes before he finally comes to see that it's not about him, it's about God. I wonder if churches on a continuum are more like either tax collector churches, publican churches, or Pharisee churches. And we mainline liberals, they call us. We mainline Episcopalians and Methodists and Lutherans and Presbyterians. I got to tell you, we like to think that we're more like the publican on our knees accepting God's grace. But we stand over in great judgment about those other churches, those evangelical churches, those more fundamentalist. I'm sure glad I'm not like one of those. We all have it in us the sadness about it is that all of that stuff that we do is simply for one reason and that is to find the thing that we most long for and that is the love of God. And the very thing that we're doing to find it is the very thing that keeps us from experiencing it. That is the deepest part of us. The deepest part is longing to experience this unconditional love of god and the irony is it's already here it is so completely here with us that there's nothing we can do to add to it we can't even do anything to subtract from it we can't do anything to earn it we can't do anything to get rid of it it is completely here with us first in the image of god that we are created with at birth and secondly in the narrative and the story of God's presence with us as we claim in Jesus Christ. And thirdly, in the tradition of the church and the community of believers who express and offer that unconditional love to each other, supposedly. Not in any self-righteous way, but in a simply loving way. There's nothing we can do to have any more of it than we already have All needs to be done is for us to throw up our hands, fall on our knees, and open ourselves up to it. Whatever church we are on the continuum of Pharisee or publican, may God have mercy on us, as God surely does. Riverside has elders and deacons who made their confession of faith to us at our session meeting Wednesday night who understand this in ways I cannot express. For in almost every single case, their confession to us was of an experience of God's love and grace when they had done nothing to deserve receiving it. It's not based on their extreme religiosity on their intellect, on their wealth, on what college they went to or didn't. It's not based on how many good things they do in the world. Every single confession was in some way a confession of God's grace to them when they least expected or deserved it. And that's what this church is about. We must always remember that because we tend toward Phariseeism. All our good works all our social justice, all our quasi-liberalism, all good stuff. But if we're doing it because we think we're going to receive God's love and mercy for it, no chance. It's already here. So completely here, it is full out, spilling over. It cannot be contained. for us to find it, that which is with us takes one scary step, one scary step into acknowledging just that. I am loved by God now and forever no matter what.